My name is Charles Story. I'll be your host for the next 15 minutes. Well, scratch that. Today's show is going to have a slightly different format. We have a very special guest speaker, Mr. Kevin Rose. Kevin is the co-founder of EOS New York, one of the leading top 21 block producers. What I really want to do is find out more about Kevin, his story, his journey so far, and more about what he believes in and his view on the EOS IO protocol and what he believes our biggest challenges are and his views on how we're going to solve them and how close we are. So with that in mind, let's get into the interview and hear from the man himself. So on today's show, we have Kevin Rose, who is the co-founder of one of the leading block producers, EOS New York. Kevin, what's happening? How's it going? Charles, thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm a long, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> thank you for making the time and coming on the show. I know you're super busy, as the other block producers are, of everything you're doing in the community. It's it's a nonstop thing, but but you have to you have to find time to stop and, and, and talk to, talk to people. And that's, that's kind of what this whole thing is about is, is, uh, at least in my position of, you know, being involved in, in the community is like, what are people thinking? What are they, what are they reacting to? What do they need? What do they want? What are they experiencing and translating that to, to like a policy of a sort? So, you know, I, I love this. I, I, I love these conversations where good ideas are born. Well, listen, with that in mind, let's talk, dude. Let's, let's get into this. So uh, where were you born? So I was born in uh, Connecticut. And if you're outside uh, the United States, it's the, it's the Constitution State uh, in New England, uh, Northeast United States. Uh, and, uh, you know, I grew up in Connecticut and then I, I pretty much bounced around uh, the Northeast. And you, you can't really escape New York when when you're in the Northeast United States, unless you go up to like Maine and you live in the woods. So when, when you know, when people ask me and say, where are you from? I'm like, oh, right outside New York, you know, cause you say Connecticut, you're like, oh, okay. The, where, where, where's that? <laughs> and did, so when did you make the transition into New York? Was that at the younger days of your life or was that recently? Or when did you kind of make the move and live there? Well, so uh, it, it, New York is, uh, is like the the sun. It's the galactic center of the of the Northeast United States. So, it, it, I have pretty much spent my time orbiting the sun. And <laughs> in in you know li- living in Connecticut, you're about an hour outside of the city, so you go there to visit. Um, but boy, is it a hell of a place to to live. You spend a couple of days there, you're like, oh my god, can I can I just sit down, please? Um, but yeah, I, I haven't spent time really living in, in, in New York, which is surprising because we're, we're, we're EOS New York. Um, you know, part, part of our team lives in New York. I, I, live, I live slightly outside of it. I can probably throw a rock and, and you know, hit the Empire State Building. Um, but, you know, we sa- I save on taxes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got, you got to do that, man. So... Talk to me when you when you were young, Kevin. What was what was your ambition? Did you always want to move into tech? Did you always want to be a thought leader? Did you always want to do lead kind of the pack in a sense? Like what what was going through your mind as a kid, or were you a traditional New Yorker want to be a firefighter or a stockbroker? See, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not that special. That's where I started. I, I wanted to be a secret agent. 
I, I nice. wanted I, I wanted to to, to learn uh, you know I, I wanted to learn Arabic I wanted to learn Chinese I wanted to learn Russian and I wanted to be a secret agent like in the spy movies and then as soon as I tried my hand at language I realized that that was definitely not going to happen uh, and then I start I, I really enjoyed uh, storytelling I really enjoyed stories and the way that they passed from one person to next and what a story means in our in our culture in all cultures how important the story is the uh, the passing down of information from generation to generation so i really enjoyed telling these stories and 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 listening to them and then i found i sort of found my calling as i got older and and said oh communications is telling a story and not not like a story like a made up thing um, but just like how can i package up information and put it in your head like the, it just it, language is is the most fascinating thing to me because you change one word in a string of them and and somebody could get an entirely different meaning i know this it sounds like well duh we all speak english but but doing it in a way where you can look somebody in the eye and say you get what i'm saying and they look at you and they say i understand you that's a powerful moment so i, I grew up after I realized I couldn't be a secret agent, wanting to tell stories. I found that in, in marketing and communications. That's what I went to college for um, in Philadelphia. For uh, I got my degree in advertising and marketing. So in regards to stories, let's talk about yours. So what was your first job? So my first job... We talking ever? We talking like real job? I'll leave that one to you, man. What What do you want to tell us? Oh yeah, okay. All right. So my first job was for my dad. I feel like everybody their first job is like working for your for your parents, and I was my first job on a construction site. My uh, my my father builds um, custom homes. And he, he loves what he does. So he would bring me to the construction site. And, it you know, a construction site's a perfect place for, for a five-year-old kid, right? That's just, it's, it's like a playground, um, just with more nails and, and buzz saws. So he would give me uh, the job of picking up trash. And I would, I, would have, I would get five cents for every piece of trash. And so what I did is I would find the biggest piece of trash and tear it into as many pieces as I possibly could to maximize <laughs> the, the profit from picking it up. So I would come in with this bucket of trash and at the end of one of the days, uh, and actually my, um, someone that, that has worked uh, with my dad for a number of years was, was telling me the story because I, you know, I can barely remember from being five years old, but he said, at the end of the day, your dad was, some, was, was perplexed at how he suddenly owed $110 to a five-year-old. <laughs> after counting, after counting all the trash that you got, um, and it's funny he so he gave he actually gave me that money, and uh, that was the first time I set up a bank account, and we for, actually we forgot about that bank account, and I found it later, um, and it had accrued all these interests, you know, twenty twenty five years later, and it was like it was a couple thousand dollars, like uh, I mean it was. Um, it was a nice surprise. So that was actually my first job was trying to figure out how to how to maximize profit for my dad, for my dad. So I love. So how how did that work? So you basically find all the rubbish, split it up into into mini segments of that, and then basically go to your dad. And I mean, was he paying it or or was he kind of questioning that? 
Well, he questioned it, but he paid it because he's a man of his word, which was the second <laughs> lesson that I learned that day. But that's the that that's the thing is like the the way that you say something to somebody, and the, what he had said to me was, "I'll give you five cents for every piece of trash." The word "piece." Now he didn't define the the the, the rules, so to speak, and uh, and I just followed what he said. I said, "Okay, well, I have one large piece. If I turn this into ten pieces, that's ten times the number of nickels. Great." I love and, and, that. And, and, that's what that's what we're doing here in uh you know when we talk about and we'll get to it later but like blockchain governance and governance in general and these having a an agreement between people and stories and all this with language the words matter i agree i agree the story matters words matter and how you and words are how you display that story how you communicate that story and um, that's why audio is 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 the way we communicate and that's the way that's the that's the reason it's so powerful man it's it's a wonderful thing to 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 lose yourself in in thought. I mean, if you think about it, it this is this is like this is a, a, a it's it's telekinesis or, or what's the word? It's um it's not mind reading, but oh, but, uh, te- telepathic. Um, yeah, yeah, we're it's telepathy. We're putting thoughts inside of each other's head, hundreds and thousands of miles away from one another. You know, someone someone might be sitting in their car right now, driving, and and they're they're thinking about something because of the words that were the, of the sounds they're hearing. It's it is it is telepathy. It's putting thoughts in your head through the air. So, what what job did this really kind of come into action? Because on one side of things, like the theory of what you're saying makes perfect sense. But there was another side of things that must have kind of clicked, right? And you're like, okay, now I see how this, well, communicating equals that. Like you must have seen that at some stage. And when did you, when did you realize that? I think it was, um, man, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can share that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, uh, I mean, in college, you, you know, I, I, I think it might have been the first time I got out of a traffic ticket, or it might have been the the, the first time that I, uh, in college, you know, everybody does dumb things, and, and you're sit, you're sitting there in front of the dean, and he's like, "So tell me what happened." And then at the end of that, he's like, "Okay, I guess you can go." And I'm like, "Okay, I guess I guess words are important," <laughs> because I was definitely guilty there. No, but I mean that you know makes me sound like a liar, but I, I you, you get what I'm saying is, I, I guess it was might have been one of those moments, right? Right. It, it was, it was a moment in your life where it kind of like, all oh, right, this is, this is how, this is how it works. I need to implement this. Well, also, you know, just you, you, you watch, watch the, it was, it was almost a feeling now, now that I'm thinking you're stirring up memories. Um, I watch even now, if I watch a speech, if I watch a moment where somebody is speaking and they have so accurately nailed what it is that that, whatever they intended to convey it it sends shivers through my body it it makes my hair stand on end when i so viscerally wow feel what it is that someone was trying to say It, it is the it's the pinnacle of human connection in my opinion that's interesting because um like I'm, I'm a massive fan of, of, you know, like inspirational speeches that were given and, you know, historic times. Churchill is, is one of, one of our greats over here in England and he gave some killer speeches. What, what was the last kind of speech that, that got you into that state? Ooh. Okay. It's not really a happy one. That's okay. Um, let's see. 
I mean, the last, the, the last moment, um, I was watching a video of Saddam Hussein and it was while he was speaking to the, um, I, you know, and I don't know the proper word for it, if it's the, the, the legislative body of Iraq. And it was the moment at which he was taking power and he was talking about what's going to happen next. And, uh, and while, while he was talking, this is actually, it's, it's actually less, it's the words he was using were rather innocuous at, at, at the, at the moment when he was saying it, but it was, it was actually less the words and more so what was happening around him, but people were being dragged out while he was giving this speech. Um, that, that would be the last I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking about when was the last time that like shivers went through my spine, but w- the, a, a more happier answer to that question would be there's this great youtube video where it's like it's called like the greatest inspirational speech of all time and it's a it's a mishmash of every great line from like ever every movie ever made um was, you should include the link yeah i've seen that i know that it, it, has like, it has the charlie chaplin dictator um element to that as well right oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i mean that and that's that's one of those greatest speeches and um I mean, you talk about Winston Churchill and, and the, his, his words carried more than a nation. It, it was like, it, it put, it put the, the allied forces on, on his back, listening to the, to the words that he said, it was so powerful. So, I mean, you could, if we had, if we, if we went down that road, I'm sure we could come up with half a dozen, but <laughs> you know, those are the two that, that come to mind. I love, I love that. So let's, let's talk about, advertising that was that your kind of first because you had your had your degree in advertising was that your first venture into the kind of corporate or non-corporate world but into kind of the job world yeah it was and and advertising is one of those things it's very difficult to break in but once you're there uh it's it's much easier to move around it's kind of like uh like the cia or an intelligence agency It's, it's it's pretty hard to get in the door but once you're inside everybody sort of assumes that you're you're supposed to be there uh so it was, it was my first, it was what I wanted to do. It was my first foray into the corporate world. And I mean, if you can even call agency life, the the corporate world, because it's very different than, you know, a suit wearing environment. Um, but it very quickly, it I became very quickly disillusioned with it because when we talk about stories storytelling the importance through culture and generations and things like that what we what we haven't talked about are those are stories worth telling and it's very very difficult in advertising to find stories worth telling to find stories that are not personally compromising right you find yourself trying to find a way to say something such that it's it's like it has just enough shred of truth that you're legally allowed to say it and that's taxing it's, it 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 hurts after a while and i and, and that's 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 why i i'm i when i saw the opportunity to be a part of eos and be a part of of this this grand experiment I did it because it, it was a, it was something worth telling. It was a story worth telling. Uh, 
and I wasn't going to wait for someone else to tell it. So for you, is it more about telling the story or being part of that story? Now, I mean, it both. Um, I, I, I don't really know how to describe what it is. When people, if you're not in EOS and like you ask, you know, you're at a party, right? And you say, hey, what do you do? <laughs> like, oh, what do you do for a living? I I just say I'm in I, I'm in uh, technology and distributed computing because if you say if you say at a party uh, you're in blockchain you've basically just ruined the party because someone is going to ask you a question about it and they're like so how does Bitcoin have value you're like oh god okay all right sit down <laughs> grab a drink we're for, say goodbye to whoever you're talking to because this is what we're doing for the rest of the night <laughs> so. Uh, it, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, well, we're talking about the story and, and conveying it. And um, I'd be really interested to hear in your own words where you, where, what you think, what, where you think we are now and what the story is so far regarding the blockchain space. Like, you, I'd, be, I'd be kind of interested how you, how would you, would, you would tell it to, to the listeners out there. Blockchain in general? Well, the story. What, what do you think that includes? Like, what do you think is important? But um, I guess you could start it off with blockchain. Yeah, you, you know, at the beginning of this journey, it was, um, it was I, fra- I in my head, I would phrase it in a very specific way. But what I have learned, what I have been exposed to throughout this process is the same technology, but through the lens of so many different cultures that I have not previously been exposed to. So for, for me personally, I think that in in the United States there is such a heavy emphasis on the individual. Uh, it is, uh, you know, I don't I don't know if we can if we can curse on the podcast. Can we curse on the podcast? You can curse. Okay. It, in the United States, it's very fuck you pay me, <laughs> right? It's very it's it's very it's very individualistic. Uh, you know, the idea of the, of what a con- the very word of a constitution and the bill of rights and everything is to protect the individual for, for coming from that background. It's because it's impossible to escape it. If you're, if you're in the Northeast coast of the United States, it's blockchain is the return to the individual. It is the return to the value creator where we, where we have in modern society spent centuries uh, identifying the the ones who create value and then building ecosystems around them, intermediaries who, in many instances, provide real real value themselves, but are all subsisting off of the value created by very few. Blockchain is the possibility to to give more power back to the value creator, especially when it comes to EOS and decentralized applications. I think that that is the real potential, but blockchain in general, um, it is it is the ability to to take what is an inefficient database. Blockchain is an inefficient database compared to a centralized database, but but use it in such a way that allows society to become smaller, to become more global, to become more trustless and to move faster um, and to and to break down barriers between between countries, um, between cultures, between economies, etc. Uh, it, it creates a more global free moving space. So where so where is it in all of this? I'd say it's 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 in the very beginning. 
And I'm still learning about its history. It's even though it's rather short, you know, 10 years isn't a long time. But then when you spend two years in blockchain, you're, you're, you know, blockchain years are like 10 human years, right? So it's, we're starting to just understand the promises. And I think that now with the greater attention, with the greater amount of capital, people are, um, they're starting to measure up where we are at delivering those promises. And I would say that, you know, when, when people lose money, they're going, they're going to say, oh, well, we, we, we're just so far away from delivering those promises. And when the market's very high, you know, everybody's very high on, on the potential. So I'm kind of jumping around, but my, my point is blockchain can make the world a smaller place. It is not, uh, it is not a disruptive technology. It is a foundational technology. And it can be a part of the very fabric of the way that we structure our societies in order to make them uh, freer so that the, the the value creator is at the center of it all. Did that make sense? <laughs> that made perfect sense. I really, I really, right. <laughs> um, I really agree with your points. And on the point of price that you, that you briefly mentioned there, I, do you believe that price really has anything to do with it? It's impossible to escape it. I mean, it's so... Well, like when I say when I say a blockchain year is a human year, it's because the amount of volatility within such a small time frame, it's 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 like impossible to digest mentally. If you if you walk away for a week, you could come back to an entirely different landscape. Where the the problem is that we're at we're at a point where you need to you need to babysit your your tokens. You need to know everything that's going on all the time, but there's so much going on, it's impossible to do it. So, uh, you know, I, I, I just think it's, it makes it difficult, mm-hmm. but, it, but I, I don't want, I don't want to say it should be ignored because it, it, sh- it shouldn't, it's, it's your money. Um, mm. But the short term, like if, if, if we look long term, the short term is not indicative of success. This is not a, a rational market by any means. And the, the actual value of uh, a token or a network is not really commensurate with the utility that it provides in many cases. There are, there are tokens that are, you know, market caps worth hundreds of million dollars and there's not a working product, <laughs> you know? So it, it's the, it's the, it's the necessary evil, I guess. That's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, on the one side of things, like when I have when I have people come up to me, like friends or whoever they may be, like, "Hey, I'm going to buy this," and like my response is always the same: If you're going to do it, do your research. And once you do your research, put the trade on and forget about it. Like, don't be one of those people who's constantly looking at the price because the price is the price. But what's important is the underlying technology is improving the adoption rates even though it's slow is improving day by day whatever it may be whatever your whatever your value um pins are like as long as that's improving don't worry about the price that will swing back in your favor at some stage and 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 hopefully it does but but for the for the there are no there are almost no barriers to entry to owning um a blockchain asset which is a which is a blessing and a curse you know in you have um in many different regulatory environments you have the accredited investor 
you have to have a certain level of net worth. You have to have a certain level of knowledge and certification. I'm not an accredited investor, so I don't actually know what the requirements are. But in any case, it's like the idea is that whatever government that is uh, laying down the certification is protecting you against yourself, essentially. Now, whether or not you agree or disagree with it, that's their that's their intent. That's their purpose. And there is no such thing in in any blockchain asset. And what what is very difficult is like this isn't like buying a cell phone like if i go to a cell phone uh if i go to um, a cell phone store i have a reasonable expectation that the technology is all going to work if it's lte 4g whatever company verizon i'm just naming you know some u.s stuff but i don't really i don't need to know exactly how the cell phone provider gets the call from a to b the technology is mature enough that I can just trust it at this fact. But for for many of these like protocol level experiments, you need to have a computer science degree to properly evaluate. And very few people within this space actually do. So they're reading promises and they're making investments based on those promises. Um, and I guess I, you know, I don't want to say that they're all investments because some of them aren't, maybe some of them are. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer and this isn't financial advice. But what I am saying is that you're, you're absolutely right. You need, you need to be very careful. You need to do your own research. You also need to accept the fact that there may be a degree of risk here that is not possible for you uh, as a layman to uh, mitigate. Well, listen, you, you said because, it best by the term experiment. Yeah. Like a lot of these projects coming out are just that. Like they're not even projects, they're experiments. Who knows where they're going to go? Right. Right. I, and, and, you know, we all hope to the moon or, or whatever, but it's just be, you be only, only, only buy for what you can afford to lose. Just right. That's the, that's the mantra. Um, I mean, that's kind of common sense. I guess right? everybody should. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, an, an interesting thing that you mentioned was accredited investors. And my kind of viewpoint on that is like, you can, you, I think accredited invest in the US is someone who has like $250,000 liquid net assets of like a million, something like that. And that makes the barrier to entry a lot higher. So the average person does not have that, right? So now they are missing, right. let's say, opportunities. Or let's look at back in the 90s, the, the tech bubble, like IPOs. The average person couldn't get into an IPO. But what they could do is go and get a credit card with $30,000 credit and go to the local casino and blow that. Like, Surely, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you talk about checks and balances, but, you know, there's always a counter argument for that. Oh, right. And I, you know, I wouldn't dream of saying that uh, having the status of an accredited investor is is uh, flat out, like net net a good thing. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't I'm not qualified to really lay down a, a statement on it at all. But I, I mean, I would. I, I would say the the intent is to protect you for yourself. I said I said that before, but yeah, I mean you're you're definitely being locked out. I mean one of the things of of, of the promises of blockchain is inclusivity. It's banking the unbanked. As you know, we've heard these phrases before. But um, you know, I, I I saw this tweet that was being passed around meme style, and uh, it it was like I the guy was saying I love it that when the stock market goes up it affects it doesn't affect me at all but when it goes down i lose my job <laughs> and for many people that's, that's that's what it's that's what it's like you can't you're not realizing the gains of those people who have diversified into the much much riskier more esoteric asset classes and now we've we've like 
skipped the line to the head to the riskiest thing of all, which is which is blockchain. Um, instead of going these these incremental steps, I, you know, I don't know if it's a good thing or if it's a mm. bad thing. I I, I think I think it's personally think it's a good thing because I wouldn't have the opportunity to do what I'm doing yeah. if it if that wasn't there. Um, but you know, I, I it's it's a com it's a complex thing, and and it's it, I do not think that governments are evolving many of them i don't think the united states is evolving in the right way um to help clarify things that's interesting it's, in, it's, it's a really interesting point there i feel, we'll get back to it in a second but what what i'm kind of like what's taken away in my brain in the minute is how do you get into eos like let's talk about your journey into this because everyone has a different take and everyone's got a different story and a different journey and since we're on the subject of stories what's your story into this well, my, my story in EOS is, um, it, I, when I started, I had always heard of, you know, there's a, there's a certain learning curve when you get into blockchain. This is what I think everybody sort of experiences. Like in, in this order, you hear about Bitcoin, then you hear about blockchain, and then you can go any number of ways, right? Like you hear about Bitcoin on, on NBC because, uh, or whatever mainstream news media because uh, they act like they know what they're talking about, but then you actually get into it and you realize that they have no idea what they're talking about. But you hear about Bitcoin because it's volatility, and then you realize that there's this underlying technology called blockchain, and you're like, oh, okay, this is this is what is powering this global network. Let me try to understand this. So it was just so it was just so fascinating when I when I made the leap. And what year from, is this, by the way? In the back of my mind. This is the end, end of 2016, so I'm, I'm by no means a veteran. Um, there are people who have been doing this far longer than me. Uh, so I, I, you know, in many cases I'll yield to their wisdom, but I have a microphone right now, so I'm going <laughs> to tell you what I think. Um, so the end of 2016, but uh, so once I made that leap from Bitcoin to blockchain, I just, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, this, this removes trust from inherently mistrusted environments period that is that is powerful uh the way the way human beings trust each other is like from the very beginning of us being able to gather around a fire thousands of years ago knowing that the guy across the fire isn't going to smash a rock through my head while i'm sleeping just the, the ability to form a pack trust is is such a fundamental part of of humanity um and not that it's a bad thing, but we're we're moving at such a pace that we need to we need to sort of mitigate it because you don't have the person that you're dealing with right in front of you. They're on the other side of the world, and you can't reach them. And there's no recourse if something wrong happens. So anyway, so I so I jumped from Bitcoin to blockchain, and I just during that time I was driving a lot for my job, and I knew I was going to start to financially get involved because I you, you hear about these moments in in market histories where it's like you bought apple stock in this you know in the beginning and obviously that time is gone or you bought amazon stock or you invested in plastics and and to me i was like this is that moment for me i i have somebody did me the favor to show me this and i cannot squander that so i will spend the time i need to to understand this to the point where I can convince my wife that it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So that's what I did. I spent, you know, 30, 40, 50 hours of just listening. I just wanted to hear like who, and not knowing if anyone knew what they were talking about or not. Um, and then finally got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start to put my money where my mouth is and, and start to, to purchase some of these tokens and, and, you know, see where it's going. But I could, I, it was very apparent that many of these things were just promises, right? They were just experiments. They didn't have real products. They didn't have uh, a lot of users yet, if they even had a product. And so it wasn't until July with my co-founder, Rick Schlesinger, who was actually the one that, that sort of grabbed me by the collar and said, wake up, you need to pay attention to what's going on. Where he handed me the EOS white paper, he said, this guy, Dan Larimer, BitShares, Steam it, check out um, Blocktivity, Look at what's going on there. Dan Larimer has a track record, which is very difficult to come by in such a new industry. Read this white paper. Okay, so I, you know, I read a half dozen white papers. I'm not, uh, and I'm also, I'm also not a technologist. So just admitting that at at the at the fundamental layer, I can't evaluate these. Were you still working at your job at this Uh, time, or we like what was going on? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I was working at, I was working at my job. Uh, so I read this white paper and, um, and then we, I read this part about block producers. And I remember thinking like, you know, having my background in communications and marketing, I'm like, okay, so these people have to get elected by a global group of people that are impossible to identify, target, or receive feedback from in any meaningful way other than they voted for you or not voted for you. I was like, this is going to be hard. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, August, uh, step around October, it was like October that Rick and I started to say, we, why are we waiting? Why are we waiting for these, for these block producers? I think we can, I think we can do this. And on the day, the day that my daughter was born, in the recovery room, Rick called me and said, "Kevin, I'm I'm going to quit my job, and I want and I want us to to start a block producer, and I want us Whoa. to do this." And I was like, "Rick, I don't." I said, "Rick, I don't know if I can quit my job. Um, I'm I'm like I'm looking at my my daughter that's less than 24 hours old, and and my wife is having trouble walking because she just gave birth." Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, let's do it. And 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 I, you know, I I actually kept uh, my job for far longer than I I care to admit. And it, it was the, mentally the being a new father and essentially working two full time jobs. Um, I I kind of I almost blacked out during the whole thing. Like it was just the the most difficult thing that I had ever done. Um. And it was, it was a blessing that I was finally able to, with confidence, say to my family, um, I'm going to quit this other job because this is what I'm supposed to do. And we've received signals from the community that they want us to do it too. They have, they have voted for us. We launched the chain. This is real. Let's go, let's go to work. And so, and so that's what we did. Um, and, and of course, by this time we had had our, our technology all settled. We brought on our, our third partner, buddy deck, who, uh, he's deployed data centers, um, for a living. Uh, and, and we had a very good, um, division of labor with business strategy, 
communications and technology and and it's it was the greatest decision that i ever made it's been oh, the best man, i love to hear that dude what a, what a phenomenal story that's got to be one of the most um motivational ones i've heard thus far you the day your daughter was born you were like you know what i'm gonna I'm, I'm, go- I'm gonna join the circus well it was yeah. <laughs> oh that's yeah that's a good way to put it but it you know it was it was looking looking at her and my wife and my family and i was like what 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 can i do to provide opportunity for them and to be proud of that work and this is it um you know this is i tim lewis i know you you guys have had him on he he introduced me to the concept of ikigai he had said it before and you know when when i went and looked it up it's exactly what this is. And for, for anyone listening doesn't know, you know, Ikigai is, is something you're good at, something you're passionate about, something the world needs and something you can get paid to do. And, and those four things are our reason for being. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is how I, how I look at this. It is, it's not work. It's something else. I love that, man. I love that. Well, since, since we were just talking, well, you mentioned community and that was kind of one of the on-ramps that really motivated you and encouraged you to, to follow this path. I actually have some questions from the community that I hope you can be so kind in answering regarding the current state of EOS. Great, dude. So of course. Uh, question number one, it was kind of about CPU. And um, the question was, CPU has been a hot topic of discussion in the Telegram channels recently. Can you update those who don't know about the current CPU situation? Yes, I can. Um so this has been this has been difficult and it's not ideal. Uh, you know, I, I I look at it as a a a scaling plateau that we have hit. Um, it's not that anything is wrong, right? Uh, obviously, the the state of things is uh, you know suboptimal would be putting it lightly. If you can't use it, that's a problem. Um, but the people say why is C, why is CPU a problem? Because the network is being used. Uh, resources in blockchain networks are limited, and EOS is right now the the most active blockchain uh, in terms of like rate of development, in terms of de- DApps being deployed, in terms of options of different um, utilities that you can use to manage your account, in the network, but. Uh, yeah, we have we have hit a plateau. So there are a number of things that are are looking to 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 help. Uh, we thought, for example, that uh, multi-threading signature verification would be one of those things. It turns out after testing that the 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 added the the reduced cost of CPU um, was negligible. It didn't really help too much, actually. Maybe maybe it's worth um, saying about a little bit yeah, about yeah, how absolutely. CPU works. Uh, so CPU is is not this thing that you have. Uh, it's a thing that you have a claim to. So it's, you know everybody listening probably has a, they know what the EOS token is, which is a claim on um, distributed resources on on the network, and that's networking and CPU and and then RAM you have to outright purchase. But CPU actually is different for every block producer. 
So depending on who is processing your block at the time, depending on the servers that they are running, uh, their ability to tune those servers and, and do all the things they need to do to, to be a service provider of the network, they could bill you more or less than the guy before or after them. So it's all subjective. Um, and there are tools that you can see that have benchmark, uh, benchmark block producers. So some are, some are twice as fast as others. Uh, you know, uh, us, we're, we're, EOS New York is not the fastest right now. So we, we have invested a lot of money in, into building, um, you know, a, a, our servers into a new data center. They're sitting there right now. We're observing them. And as soon as they're alive, we're going, we're, we're looking to boost our, our speed and, and basically reduce the, the cost that we bill you, the user, uh, for CPU. So that's what happens. You, you submit your transaction, uh, and then it's processed by, the block producer, and then they tell you how much it costs. So that's kind right. of how much it, that's how it works. Um, and something I do want to tell everybody is that if you're looking at a block explorer right now and you see that you haven't uh, made a transaction in the last 24 hours, which is how long it takes for your CPU to fill back up, so to speak, if you imagine it as a battery for it to recharge, it takes 24 hours. Uh, and it says 150% out of 100%. There's, there's a problem where it, it needs you actually need to transact for it to right. reset. So you're, you're not looking at the updated numbers. So do that. You, you have CPU. Um, but okay, back to, back to the actual problem. That's Sorry, great, man. We're, we're covering different uh, topics, man. That's what we're doing. We're, we're, covering, we're covering a lot of topics. Um, just another question as well. So, I mean, how important do you see voter sure. proxies within the EOS ecosystem ensuring that everyone has the ability to make an informed vote? So is it proxy? So pro proxies do a lot of the work um, for the voter in one of two ways. One is you could just look at a large proxy and see how they vote and take that as a signal. And the second is uh, many of them go through hours and hours of research to produce a report and saying, here is what I found about these block producers. Um, and even then, it's not perfect. That's, that's what's been amazing about this whole process because it's important it's impossible to actually get the objective provable specs of a block producer's hardware. For example, you can't get at their producer node. They, if, if you can, they've done a bad right. job at being a block producer. Um, so, so they, they, they're ta trying to take all of the other things that make a block producer valuable or trusted. Um, I think that they're immensely important. I think that we're going to move to a place where they are essentially uh, like a lobbying group. Uh, and, and, and the relationship between a block producer and a proxy is something that's going to have to be very delicately handled for the same reason uh, that lobbying is so ridiculously corrupt in the United States. It's paying politicians to do things for special interest groups. And that's not what we want um, to happen on EOS. So... I think that they're hugely important. Um, also, also, just like, are, can we expect every token holder to reasonably up their vote every single month and stay on top of everything mm. that every block producer is doing? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. And I mean, kind of following off from that, so account permissions are often kind of misunderstood or um, underestimated. Um, well, can you let the listeners know how powerful the account system is on EOS? It is one of the most attractive features of the software. Uh, 
uh, the the amount of flexibility that it provides removes the need for a lot of the unenforceable man-made human element kind of governance stuff that we talk about. It's, it's every, everything that we do with, um, you know, the EOS core arbitration forum and, and that's a, that's lazy governance and permissions is smart governance. So you can, you can set up keys, essentially um, public private key pair to do a specific set of actions. And that key pair can only do that action. You can also set up multi-signature um, uh, keys so that let's say your family owns an account and the, the, the head of the family has a key uh, that can move all the tokens. And then uh, the, the three kids, if they all get together, they can use their keys to move all the tokens, but it requires all three. But then the, 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 the head of the family can still you know, use their one. So it, you, let me put this in a... Okay, so what I'm writing right now, and I, I'm going to give you a sneak peek because I'm, oh, yeah. I'm trying to release this tomorrow. It's what what it's what governance on EOS is supposed to look like, because we have wasted a lot of time talking about things that aren't helping, and it is focused on these flexible permission levels. Um, if you are you you could right now if if we if we were offering the service EOS New York you could set up a special key that that you share with EOS New York a, a permission set uh, we each have a key that can reset your 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 account can reset your active key for example so if if for some reason your uh, your account is compromised you would have another way to to reach out to EOS New York and say, hey, do me a favor. Here's my key pair. I'm going to need your key pair to reset the other one that's that's been compromised. Uh, and and oh, use this new key pair I generate, so only I have it. Now, that's a very simplified example. There's there's some flaws in that example, but the idea is that it is it can enable security. It can enable uh, further decentralization of DApps, especially with regard to their token. Smart contracts, the smart contracts that govern the DAP token itself. Uh, it, it's an incredibly flexible thing. It's difficult for me to to describe uh, because I'm still working out how to write it. But I hope <laughs> to release it tomorrow. It's 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 really it's going to transform the relationship between the block producer and the DAP, and it's going to where where I think governance is going to focus on, so that we aren't compelled to bypass permission checks and have block producers do things like change lost key pairs. We do not need to do that. I love to hear that, man. And, and it's going to be interesting reading that out, reading the um, piece you're writing. So I look forward to uh, seeing that tomorrow. So kind of taking a kind of a, a broader view here. So one potential area where other yet to be released third generation blockchains, which by the way, there, there are a couple of coming out in 2019, might have an advantage over EOS is finality time. With asynchronous Byzantine full tolerance being worked on, how do you see that affecting finality time? And when can we expect that upgrade to occur? So the um, so first is I I am not in a in a place yet where I I can comment with any degree of uh, um, authority on that. That's something that I would want 
my my head, you know, our head of technology buddy deck to talk about. Um, for for when it's coming, I actually I have that written down because block producers have we have an ongoing we have an open dialogue with representatives of block one. Uh, you know, they're doing they've they've committed to supporting the yep. EOSIO software for many years. They hold ten percent of the tokens on the EOS mainnet. Everybody's incentives are aligned to to make EOS great there. Um, I I can share that I, I can see if I can share what they've estimated, sure. but it's still only an estimate. Uh, so I guess I guess I can't answer that question. I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> That's I don't okay, know. man. It's the honesty that counts, and it was the fact that you you gave it a good stab. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. It's not something I, I can oh, I love uh, dabble that. in yet. Well, listen, um, that's a wrap from us. Thank you so much for your time and attention and, and your story, man. We've, we've had a great time. And um, yeah, you really kind of shook me. I didn't, I didn't expect the, the communication line to be as strong as it was. So I am pleasantly surprised. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I know I didn't answer uh, some of the CPU solutions that are coming down the line. Um, the, just the last thing I want to say was uh, Rex, the resource exchange, um, and its goal to decouple um, staking for voting and uh, staking for a claim on resources. So uh, there's more to more about that. If you want to join our Telegram channel, EOS New York, happy to discuss. We actually got into about a two-hour debate with the, the head of EOS Bet. Uh, one of the largest uh, casino really well. EOS about this very <laughs> exact thing. Yeah, it was it was a riveting debate. Where if you want to come, you can read read about it in our channel. But um, yeah, have, have come come visit us, and and I appreciate you. Uh, you My pleasure, and we'll have all your links to Telegram groups and everything like that in the description below. But as always, uh, keep doing what you guys are doing. You're, you're doing a great job for the network as a whole. And um, I'm really looking forward to reading all your future pieces as well, and and keeping in contact with you guys. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for things to come. <laughs> Great stuff. You Thank you so much for your time, Kevin. Great. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to say a big thank you to Kevin for making the show today. And remember, as always, to hit us up on our social channels, our Telegram SVK crowd. If you type that in, you will find us. Twitter at SVK underscore crypto. And feel free to email myself if you have any questions or queries. C-Story, C-S-T-O-R-R-Y at SVKcrypto.com. So with that in mind, that's a wrap. And I got to bounce. You've been listening to an SVK Crypto Podcast Original. Follow us on Twitter at SVK underscore crypto. Email us on CSTory at SVKcrypto.com. Leave us a message on our website, www.SVKcrypto.com. Mm-hmm.